Well, hello everybody and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Your Manchester with me, Miss Belinda Scandal and... Brad with the cat footy. How are you doing, Cocker? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm alright. Thank you very much. Oh, Jesus. That's alright, alright. We've got a marvellous show, everybody, coming your way right now, everybody. So turn it up, get yourself settled and get ready for one amazing show. Who's on the show? We have got Sally Ann Triplett, Ben De La Creme and Jinx Monsoon, and not forgetting... Chris Harper. Indeed, but you did mention Jinx and Bendela Creme there. Now, they're doing a fantastic, fantastic show that's coming our way very, very soon. And I caught up with them and managed to ask them a few questions. And the first one I asked was, what is you bringing us? What is she bringing us? Well, you know, we um, bring a lot of different things to uh, the stage around the holidays. This is a show that we put a lot of uh, of hearts and a lot of ourselves into um but you know it's uh it's live singing with uh original music parody songs it's comedy it's all the spectacle and uh elaborate costumes you want from a drag show um and if you've uh but we've also you know really it's important to us to do um content that's really meaningful specifically to queer people around the holidays because you know it can be such a hard time for a lot of people you know, it's a time of year where we're really inundated with messages about family and, and homecoming. And that can be a complicated topic for, for some of us. So um, we really like to reclaim uh, Christmas for the queer people to say, you know, whatever traditions don't work for you, don't worry about them. We're making our own and hopefully give people a lot of fun and a lot of laughs and a lot of sparkle along the way. And of course, Christmas, a sensational time of the year. Live singing, though. I mean, as, as two live singing drag queens, uh, is it frowned upon for doing that? I mean, I'm live singing myself and still around here in our little, little village. It's, it's like a novelty to have drag queens that can actually sing. I think, um, you know, first of all, I think there's room for everything. You know, um, I, I, I don't like to think of live singing or lip syncing as like one's better than the other. Because if you're good at something, you're good at it. Um, you know, like I've seen lip syncing artists that blow my pants off. But I do think we are shifting into, especially now that drag is becoming more mainstream, we're shifting into a time where there's a lot more live singing drag queens. Lucky for us, it's what we've always done. You know, Dela's a master parody artist. I'm um, trained in the Broadway School of Singing. And so when you put us together, you get a show that's full of original music and um, lots of parodies. And I melt your face off with my Ethel Merman style vocal power. She does have some real pipes on her. So, you know, even people who don't know if, uh, you know, if they're live singing lovers or they're theater lovers, you know, sometimes people come in the door because they're just like, oh, I love drag. And they leave being like, oh, I love theater. And then other times people are like, eh, I don't know about drag, but I'm a theater person. And they come out loving drag. So that's that's our goal is to make people really see the, the marriage of yeah. <laughs> quite right definitely now let's let's go a bit further back because you were obviously both um synonymous with rupaul's drag race how did you get into drag though and why did you both get into drag i started at age 15 um uh, i just kind of always knew there was a part of me i wasn't expressing and um, for many years, I expressed that part of myself through drag. And then somewhere in my early 20s, I realized, oh, this doesn't have to just be my drag self. This can be who I am day to day. And so nowadays, I identify as non-binary and I 
um, express myself very femme day to day. And drag is the thing that helped me discover that part of myself and has become more like my career rather than a place where I um, channel all my feminists. Um, so that's how I got into it. And that's why I still do it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, um, similar to Jinx, have been just drawn to drag from a very young age. You know, I was always that little kid who was making my cousins put on plays with me and I would play the female character and make my dresses out of towels, you know? So, <laughs> Um, you know, as soon as I was able to start getting my hands on makeup and, and stuff, I was I was doing that. And then I started doing drag professionally the moment I turned 21, which is the you know legal age to be in bars in the States. Um, <laughs> Unless you start at 16 or 15 and you just lie about your age because you always look a decade older than you actually I mean, are. <laughs> I also started young, but I wasn't breaking the law. That's the only difference. Was there anybody that you saw in the drag community that you thought, I really want to be them, that person. I really want to aspire to working towards being as good as what they are. The, my, um, the experience I always talk about when I was 18 years old, uh, I went to see a show uh, by Varla Jean Merman, and it was actually her holiday show uh, called Holiday Ham. And she, uh, she just blew my mind. And if you don't know who she is, you, you have to look her up. She's a brilliant live singer, comedian, and she really opened my eyes as to everything drag can be. And now I'm fortunate enough to call her a great friend. We got to cast her in our uh, holiday film last year. So, um, so yeah, that's come first full circle. Yeah, and the drag queen I've always wanted to be like is Bette Midler. <laughs> <laughs> Moving over into to Christmas then, it's going to be a big show. We're going to have big costumes. We're going to have the lights, the glamour. Everything that you expect from you two. Why is your show so successful? Because this is like, you know, not just the first year, this holiday show's come around, is it? Yeah, no, we've been performing, uh, we've been doing holiday content together since 2018. And, uh, you know, our, our biggest tour to date was uh, set to be 2020. And when that couldn't happen, we created a holiday film instead. Um, but I think that uh, the reason people respond so well to our holiday shows is because it does have everything you say. It has the comedy and the, the live singing and original music and all the glamour and uh, spectacle. But we also really strive to talk about, uh, a, I mean, a lot of things similar to what we've just been talking about, which is uh, speaking to the queer community and people who feel uh, alienated during the holidays. You know, it can be a difficult time of year. Um, for uh, folks who don't necessarily identify with um, the all the the focus on on family and homecoming, a lot of us have to create our own families, and uh, and a lot of traditions don't serve us. And so, at the heart of our show, it's really how do we reclaim that? How do we make it our own? How do we make this holiday season something that's joyous for us without all of the trappings of um, of the, the parts of it that don't serve us as individuals. And the holidays can be hard for, for many people beyond our community as well. And I think most people find something to identify with within that message. And we hope to give them a lot of heart and a lot of hope. Brilliant. So when's the show on and where's it at? And how can we get tickets? Because everybody's going to want to come to this, I'm sure. Yeah, well, we're, uh, you can find all of our uh, UK tour dates at jinxandela.com. That's J-I-N-K-X and D-E-L-A.com. And um, 
yeah, that's uh, all the ticket links, all the tour dates for, for the UK are up there. Next up, it's you want to get someone down and dirty, then you call Dial M for murder. We talked to Chris Harper about the show. You're joining us from the Lowry at the moment, I presume? Yeah, I'm deep in the depths of the building somewhere. I, I was A bag was put over my head so I wouldn't know where I was. And that's I you'll never get that. out now. This is it. Like You have to know that you will just live there the rest of your life. I hope you've accepted this. Yes. <laughs> You're stuck there now. You might even have to dial M for murder. Tell Wait. us about this wonderful production of yours. What's going on? What's it all about? Well, that's it, isn't it? Most people know the title, Dial M. But um, the thing that we've noticed most um, from doing this now... We've done this show 93 times, I think, and we were doing it, we've done it about 85 times before the lockdowns uh, started. We're near the end, and still, most of the people we meet, they don't know what Dial M for Murder is actually about, because the title doesn't really tell you, and most people know the title, but they go, oh, is that the one with the with the birds, or the shower, or the, which one is it? Um, so it's a sort of uh, a willy get away with it, rather than who done it, starring me. I mean, you're, you're all over the shop with this one, aren't you? You play quite a few characters in it. And uh, towards <laughs> the end, it seems like you're almost like running some kind of marathon. <laughs> well, I, I, I do sort of like a little bit of a jog across the stage at the end, yeah. Um, I I'm, 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 don't want to give anything away, but I'm hired in the first half to kill the irrepressible Diana Vickers. And then I return in the second half uh, to sort of solve the crime as the kind of the, the pre-Columbo character. So it's written in the 50s, So, but it is all sort of hands in pockets and just one more question. And, you know, he, he makes a lot of mistakes. Uh, so it's, it's quite good fun as well as being kind of hopefully edge of your seat. So definitely took quite a bit of inspiration from Columbo there. That, that definitely the whole, the whole the thing on the nose is something I remember growing up is like his, his typical thing. So yeah. uh, what was your, what's your most exciting part that you enjoy of the show then that you can tell us? Uh, oh, do you know, I lo- <laughs> uh, one of the things I love is, uh, and this isn't really to do with the script, but when the iron comes down at the interval, um, I can hear what people in the front row are saying. <laughs> and um, it's just brilliant. You get people kind of going, wow, was that supposed to happen? And other people going, oh, yes, very clever. Like they've worked it out. And it's brilliant. <laughs> So why is yeah. this show so successful then? What, what's, why? It's, it's just doing wonders, isn't it? <laughs> why? I'm sorry, it was rubbish. Um, because I tell you what it's like, it's like indoor fireworks. Um, now that we're back indoors and we're back with lots and lots of people, it's that very much is kind of the fun is the, is the live experience, the sort of sh- shared storytelling. It's like a big bedtime story for everyone. And what's great is that everyone sort of joins in. And although there aren't many obvious gags or belly laughs or there's no sort of slapstick or set pieces but there's lots of lies being told and lots of moments where you think something's going to happen and it just doesn't and the audience are like oh ah, oh oh and like the other night we just had someone go liar and the top of their the audience then respond and they like, notice each other and laugh at each other so it's just a, it's just such fun to play now, a lot of people will be watching this now and thinking about you from Coronation Street um, a few years ago now. How has life changed for you since you were such a baddie within that show? Well, I, I did actually get myself a rather nice dog after a, a year or so um, because everyone on the street would talk to me about Corey uh, and sexual abuse. And once I got a really cute dog, people would approach me still, but they talk about the dog. Uh, <laughs> 
it, it's, it's, it was a storyline that obviously impacted an, an awful lot of people um, mm. and it impacted my life and it, um, it changed everything, like just going to the supermarket, going to a train station, whatever. I mean, not just Corrie fans, of which there are millions, um, but also people who'd suffered from sexual abuse in one way or another mm. and the lifelong effects of that. Um, so I'm sort of joking about getting a dog, but it really it was it was useful for me not to have to carry that load all the time. It's um, amazing how many people sort of like forget that this is a show and this is a character you're playing. It's not real. How many people just go, no, that's what you're like. And it's like, no, that's very... Well, I'll, I'll stop you. I was really lucky because perhaps uh, his, his crimes were so awful and it, because he wasn't he wasn't laddie and dangerous. He wasn't like a fighty lad mm. i didn't have any of that issue at all like i got approached like three four five times a day for like a year and everyone knew i was chris the actor who played nathan so i was mm. dreading and we'd been totally prepped for people going oi nathan come here and actually there was none of that at all it was a, a massive relief but um i know that, uh, other other lads particularly don't get so lucky and a massive relief, of course, that you didn't get that aggression in a southern accent as well, because that's another thing, isn't it? A lot of people don't realise that you're not actually from Weatherfield with that accent. I mean, this is an inspiration and, a, and an acclamation as well. Where is it you actually hail from, Chris? <laughs> Do you know, I met a really big agent once who asked me where I'm from and what I'd done and where, you know, what my family background was. And, um, and uh, I, I just sort of told them and they went you need to change that story because <laughs> originally i'm from Wellin garden city like um nobody knows where that is never heard um, of it never it's it was only McDonald's advert years ago um but you know i've lived in stoke and i've lived in bristol and i've lived in i've lived in london now for 20 years but all of the work i've done has been around the country and i'm from all over a bit of a patchwork quilt and i like to borrow from wherever i go whoever i'm playing and whatever i'm drawing on so if you see if we met like face to face you'll see i'll be looking oh i like that brooch <laughs> and i'll nick it she'll fight you for it you she can really have well. it i actually got this off somebody from your uh, well not from your neck of those from weatherfield actually yes oh, okay i didn't ask the person that owns the shop i just literally ripped it off her, um along with her hair so anyway uh, dial m for murder it's at the lowry and uh where's what when's it on and how can we catch it and uh, go on, sell it to us. Well, it's it's here at the Lowry. It's a brilliant space for it. It's packed full of gorgeous people joining in and, and singing. Well, not singing along, but ooh and ahhing along because it's full of sort of <laughs> and lies. You can sing along if you like. Uh, Diana would love that. Um, and it's on till Saturday, so be quick. We will indeed. For now, though, Chris, thank you so much oh, for your time today. To thank you. Best of British. Thank you very much. Thank you. We've been dreaming of a white Christmas. And to catch up on the musical version, we have Sally Ann Triplett. Hello, you're Manchester. How are welcome, you? Welcome, welcome. How have you been? I've been all right. We're, I'm on tour and um, I've never really done tour before. So, oh, God, there's just a picture of me. Great. Um, <laughs> I've never really been on tour before, not really, and so it's all um, quite a lot actually. It's full on. We go with you know, you, you come out, come off the stage, and you think, where the hell is my dressing room? Is it up or down? Now, before we get on to your fabulous show at White Christmas. I actually want to talk a little bit about you and your career because you've done so much in your career. You've 
you've kind of played a, quite a lot of the, the 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 golden roles for a lot of females out there. You know, you've you've had Donna in Mamma Mia, you've had Miss Adelaide in Guys and Dolls, and you've actually performed one of my favourite roles. And this is going to be a throwback to you, I'm absolutely sure. Uh, in one of my favourite musicals, Carrie, you played Sue Snell. Oh my God, are you a massive Carrie fan? I'm a huge Carrie fan. I was so excited when it says she's coming on the show. I was going like. She was in Carrie, and I was like, I love Carrie. A Night You'll Never Forget is one of my favourite songs on this planet. Yeah, that Carrie was, Carrie was great. Yeah, no, I, as soon as I was like, I bet I'm going to throw back her here with this one. She's going to go, wow, okay, nobody ever mentions that one. Uh, but no, it, it's a great show, it's different. It. Carrie always gets mentioned. Or, oh, does it? Theater, yeah, and I've been living in New York for the last seven years, and so if somebody finds out that I was in Carrie, they kind of corner me and, like, Pin me against the wall. Tell me everything. I want to know everything. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, like I said, you've done so many different musicals and you're running one at the minute. You're doing White Christmas the Musical. Yeah. What exactly is White Christmas the Musical? So um, it's based on the film. I don't know. I mean, it's it's been my sort of staple film at Christmas time to watch since I was, since, you know, I was very little. Um it was with Bing Crosby and um, Danny Kaye, and um, it is an amazing, beautiful story um, set in Vermont. And it's about these two TV celebrities that follow these two girls up to this inn, and they're performing at the inn. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful, big Broadway show, but it's really about people. It's really about relationships and what matters in life. The songs are from Irving Berlin and the score is unbelievable. Well, you're the main role in this show. Uh, What do you think that you bring to it that, did you find it hard to connect to such a character considering you are such a fan of the film or did you recreate what you'd already seen or create your own version of it? Um, This job was supposed to be done by somebody else, Sheila Ferguson. Right, okay. And I, they, they'd been, they, everybody knew about the job and they were doing it. They'd known about it for months and then they started rehearsals and for whatever reason, not my business to know, she had to pull out. And um, after about 10 days of rehearsal, I got this phone call, call to six one night from my agent. Would you fill in? Um, I had a couple of little things that I had to do, um, but I just thought this is a great opportunity to be working and be out there and be part of this this big push to get theatre back on its feet again. And um, and so I kind of took over in 24 hours. So I I I didn't really have a lot of time um, to think what am I going to do with this part? Am I going to play it like the original? Am I going to do? It? I just yeah. had to. You had to jump in head first and and go for it. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of a detriment to you as a performer, realistically. You know, you sort of just went, right, we're here. We're going to do it. Great. But that's that's fantastic. And everybody around me, the Ian Talbot and Stephen Meir, who I've known, he did, he choreographed anything goes, Stephen. And I've, I did a show with Ian Talbot. So I knew them and everyone was so supportive and so lovely that it just, it, it was, it's been a dream. And the touring part is tricky and it's tiring, but the company and the spirit just brings it all together. 
Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's a very magical show. Like you say, it's White Christmas. It's yeah. even, even the song itself is quite a magical song to begin with. And like you say, it's, it's one of those classic films. So what kind of things can we expect to see, say, even costume-wise? Can we expect that magicalness to come straight off the stage and into the audience? Yeah, it's proper, it's proper, you know, kind of Broadway, big numbers. As I say, Stephen Mears choreographed it. But the, the dancing is so fantastic. Um, not only is the dancing fantastic, but the singing is, everybody is just a triple threat. There are some really young kids, kids in the show. Um, they've managed to employ four people just out of college, um, which is so good for our industry. It really is. Um, and it, there, there's big numbers, blue skies. I love a piano. There's a big silver piano, and you know, you won't, you 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 won't be disappointed. You get your money's worth. Um, honestly, piano, all, all these beautiful dresses, and you're like, I am living my best life on this stage every night. Yeah, well, my, my Martha Watson doesn't really wear the best dresses in the show, but I do at the end. I, I'm, we're all in beautiful red, and it's all very Christmassy, and it snows and. You know, it's it, honestly that the audiences have been standing up every night, which amazes mm. me. That it, that's it, fantastic. Well, that's we can't wait to see it. But, yeah, we, and, we can't wait to see it. And, you're, you're here next week. You're here from the 22nd of November to the 4th of December. Yeah. So right, we please. will catch you then. Well, Belinda, have you had a very good time this week? I've had a lovely time. I'm off home now for a bath. <laughs> for a bath. Well, we always have a great time here on the fabulous show only known as Your Manchester. Manchester.